Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. I'm excited tonight, as usual, to have a very special guest. And I was uh, telling offline um, this guest that uh, I'm really super proud and excited to, to have a conversation and catch up with her. Um, I've had probably um, about two other former students that have been guests on the show um, at um, um, the university where I teach at Columbia University Teachers College. And um, tonight's guest is one of our graduates in the master's program, and she is the founder of the American Dream School and head of school um, of the American Dream School in the South Bronx, Melissa Melconian. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Um, we It's been a long time since we talked, and uh, so I'm excited to hear and catch up with you. For those of you who are joining uh, for the first time and may not have uh, been a regular listener, um, just to catch you up on what this is and what we've been doing, it's just an eclectic uh, podcast and radio show of a variety of topics to keep leaders informed on, in education, particularly, uh, but all kinds of things uh, you should know as a professional and a leader. And uh, the show started uh, before podcasts and, and kind of these electronic uh, forums became popular way back in 2012. It seems like, well, it's not ancient history, but in technology, it is ancient history. So show started in 2012, and I tell the story all the time that I, you know, I uh, often would come back to my colleagues and I would always share with them these wonderful conversations I'd have with people I would meet on airplanes or standing in a grocery store line or things like that. And one of my colleagues just said, you know, you ought to have a, first he suggested a television show. He's like, nah, not quite. But uh, um, said, but you really ought to do this thing that they call a podcast. And I had no idea what it was. Started doing a little research on it. And I said, I could probably try that. And so I tried it, loved it, and been doing it ever since. We have um, probably greater on average each month, uh, more than 50,000 um, listeners uh, uh, to the podcast and certainly live uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 5,000 people live. So I'm excited and people all over the world listening in. And uh, what better topic tonight to catch up with Melissa and hear about this American Dream School. Um, I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in catching up because uh, um, I'd love to always know where former students are, but just the work that uh, Melissa has been doing, I have been watching uh, very closely news stories that have been about the school and uh, other great news that people have shared on LinkedIn and other social media. And so I reached out and said, uh, and, and she graciously accepted uh, to come tonight 
and be a part of tonight's show. So, Melissa, again, welcome. Um, I, I really, I know, uh, even in your bio, and we shared this in in our introduction uh, to the show, uh, inviting people to listen in tonight. Um, your bio, um, your idea for American Dream School. So, I'm we're going to get to actually how you founded it, but um, before it also talks about your personal experience. So tell me a little bit about your background that helps kind of shed some light and add some perspective to how you came to this idea for the American Dream School um, about your own personal immigration story. Absolutely. So again, thank you for having me, Dr. Perkins. Um, a little bit about myself. I grew up just outside El Paso, Texas. I grew up, um, I am the daughter of undocumented immigrants who came to this country from Mexico, who, if, if one thing it was that they knew, my parents knew the value of hard work and they knew the value of education. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents came to the U.S. with a primary level education, right? Mm-hmm. So speaking absolutely no English, uh, very limited education, wanted to come here to be able to give their children access to what they saw, what they believed uh, would be the American dream. And for them, the American dream was access to education. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, growing up right on the border, I I had such a beautiful upbringing that I didn't actually realize then, you know, it, it wasn't mm-hmm. until I left my community that I realized what a blessing it was for me to be able to grow up in this dichotomous world, mm-hmm. uh, countries simultaneously, right? So mm-hmm. I'd be in El Paso, I'd be in Ciudad Juarez the next minute because mm-hmm. my grandparents, you know, my education was in El Paso and we just literally crossed the border because that's, that was the way of life. That's how you do mm-hmm. life in El Paso. Um, but one thing that was not, so sure for me at that time was being able to, to get out of El Paso, not because it's a bad thing, but not just leave El Paso, but leave El Paso to go to college. My parents, you know, with their limited education, their their limited English, they did not understand anything about college. Uh, there was no, no concept. There's nothing, no foundation for them. So mm-hmm. I, it, it, it wasn't making sense. Right. So if it wasn't for a very shiny brochure in my college counselor's office at the high school I went to for my undergrad for Trinity College and my ability to play softball, I was also a softball player that I probably would never have gone to college. Wow. Um, I had no idea you you were athlete, a college athlete. (laughs) I was a college athlete. you know, it's a D3 school, so there's no scholarship involved. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I, I left. I left, you know, 3,000 miles and went to college. And I get to college, right? So it's my freshman year now in this small liberal arts, predominantly white institution, mm-hmm. where I learned that I was Mexican, right? Not just that mm. I was Mexican, that I was poor. Like, it was, mm. it was literally a shock for me, a shock for my system growing up. In on a border town, it you don't realize any of these things. Right. It's you know, it's, it, it was wild. Um, but I nearly dropped out my first semester in college. It was 
you know, it was very difficult. Um, the culture shock, it was a lot for me to take in. Um, there was a lot of just, there was wealth. There was a lot of things that I didn't have, uh, like, an understanding of. I didn't know how to navigate college. Um, I couldn't go home on the weekends. I, you know, I tried to figure out how to make sense of college, but it wasn't, it, it just wasn't making sense for me. Mm-hmm. So, by dropping out, I called home, um, but my parents weren't having it. Um, they insisted, you know, you left our house and you're going <laughs> to stay and you what you, what you started. Sure. Like, that's what you want. Then go, go, you know, mm-hmm. stay there until you're done because that's what we do here. You're going to, you know, yeah. finish what you started. So, sure, sure. I mentorship with a surrogate family and one of my professors, and I eventually excelled. So, college, I moved to New York City. I began teaching um, bilingual special education in the the DOE. So I got my first teaching job right out of college. Um, and my job was, you know, self-contained classroom. And I think that for me was the biggest blessing for me and in terms of my career and just opening up a whole new world of where I could without them knowing at the time, like be so impactful for a lot of different children. Um, mm-hmm. Classroom of English language learners who also had special needs. And I had to teach them every subject um, all day, every day. And I loved mm-hmm. it. I, I formed a community with my students, with their families. Um, and I just, I discovered that you know, there's something, there was something missing here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I just started exploring different education options and school choice was big at the time. So I went right, to charter right. school, right? And this is Mayor Bloomberg around. Uh, school choice is huge at this time. Um, mm-hmm. So moved to the charter school where I went. Um, I realized even more it was like this this wider gap for me because mm-hmm. there were a lot of English language learners at the school that I moved to, um, and that was surprising to me because there, you know, at that time New York City had about twenty percent of the students who were English language learners, but you know, charter schools in general at that time had about a five percent uh, population of English language learners, and I'm like, uh-huh. well. Where where are these kids, right? Sure, so, sure. Um, if this is a public school, and where are the kids? And yeah. well, let me let me let me interrupt you for just a second because before you get to the charter school experience, I do I, I do want to ask you. Um, you know, you said that you were a bilingual special ed teacher, um, and you taught all subjects every day, and you so you had also you you walked. I, I guess when you um, met the parents um, that had a certain impact on you and them as well. Um, what was your what was that experience for you um, when they found out that you know where you were from? Um, what what particularly cha- what was challenging, but what was it a, a new experience for them to have someone from your background? And what difference do you think that made um, to have you? Uh, teaching their children uh, at at that level. You know, I think I think the feeling for the families was a sense of relief. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you under when you speak my language, 
that mm. that person you speak my language and you understand what we're going through right mm-hmm. um whatever it was whether it was you know the students needed more support whether the families needed more support um a, a, a genuine like I, I remember this it was a genuine warmth like let me hug you oh where have mm-hmm. you been right <laughs> sure sure uh, and and was that was that i mean given particularly that you were a first year teacher um and even you know beyond your first year for a couple of years um how how did that resonate with you know some of your colleagues that maybe didn't speak english or um weren't didn't have the same standing with the parents did you feel any tension at all or was it where was your first experience a really good one where people were also equally excited to have you there i think it was i think there was a genuine excitement for for me to be there um Mm -hmm. and it it was an asset to the school right so Mm -hmm. being able to Mm -hmm. have a bilingual educator was definitely an asset uh not just a bilingual educator, a bilingual special educator was mm-hmm. a true asset for, for the school. But I think that was, you know, definitely something that helped mold me into who I wanted to become. You know, what, it's like when I grow up, I want to be that person that gathers the community and gathers the families and brings them into the school. So, you know, just thinking about back to my upbringing and, and my parents' education, my parents never went to my school. So, you know, parent-teacher conferences and elementary school, middle school, and it wasn't because they didn't want to. There was this lack of access for them. They, you know, mm. they didn't speak English. Um, they didn't know what they, when they went in, like what was the point? You want me to go pick up your report card? It's, all it says is good things about you. What, <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I have to work. I have a, what do I need to do? Plus, they don't even speak uh, Spanish, so I don't understand anything they're saying. I'm uncomfortable because I'm not familiar with it. I didn't grow up doing this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, fast forwarding as a first year teacher in, in Upper Manhattan, it was, uh, it, you know, that was at the forefront of how I wanted to almost reach out to my parents and make sure that I let them know that I was here for them and anything that they didn't understand that they uh, were confused about, that I would be there for them. and. Mm-hmm. help them navigate the process in the mm-hmm. language that they spoke. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm here to help. Yeah. Sure, sure. And so then you went to the charter school where uh, there were fewer than in the kind of the general public education uh, population. Um, how was that experience? You know, um it was a very it was a very different experience. It's still it was a lovely experience. I learned a a, a lot being at that other school. I learned a lot um, in terms of just building community, building culture, building morale. I, I picked up a lot of other characteristics that also informed and helped me shape what my now school would look and feel like. Um, so in that sense, it was also you know instrumental in just being able to form and design this school that it now exists and has mm-hmm. living, breathing children inside of it every single day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after, so when you were at the charter school, you, you had started to say you, so you had 
so you had a very different experience. And then what, how did you come to this idea of the American Dream School? So part of, part of our uh, principal's training program um, at SPA uh, was an exercise to design a school. Um, and we had to present it to a panel and have all of these, you know, components to it and just be very confident in that design. That's not the school that I actually designed for for Columbia. For NSD, oh, okay. For, mm-hmm. for, for SPA, right? So I did yeah. not... The American Dream School was not what I actually ended up doing for my capstone project, but Mm -hmm. it gave me all of the tools that I needed to be able to think through the elements of what makes um, possible. And so Mm -hmm. so now we're looking at, you know, fast forwarding sometime 2011, I just, there's a fire in my valley because I want to get to the root of this issue of why there are such few students who are, English language learners in the charter sector. Um, mm-hmm. And I just started doing my own independent research, trying to figure this out. And, you know, I learned of different communities who had a really high immigrant population, but really, really low performance. Um, I learned um, some barriers that were around. And so mm-hmm. I zoomed into one particular school district, and that's Community School District 7 in the South Bronx. And in the South Bronx at that time, um, when I was doing my research, 8% of the students who graduated high school were deemed college ready. Mm. Um, At that time, 61% of students dropped out of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And these statistics were really high and really alarming or Mm -hmm. in the college ready low. I also- and and let me let me just also share that what I happen to know I, I know a number of principals in the South Bronx been there worked with some schools there um, is that connected to that currently forty nine percent of the kids that live in the South Bronx are living below the poverty line so that's another uh, piece to throw in there high poverty extremely high poverty. Um, so seeing, you know, I'm I'm looking at more data, more statistics, uh, looking at just the the New York State report card and how schools are performing in that area. But more importantly for me at that time, the the, the interest of English language learners, our AL students uh, were just the performance was dismal in reading and mathematics, and mm-hmm. I think for me it was. Like, absolutely not. This is it. This this is my calling. This is where I need to go. It is not possible that students who leave their home country to come to the United States come to us not being able to read or do math, right? So mm-hmm. they have, like, immigrant students have just as much, if not more knowledge. Um, they just have that knowledge in another language. And mm-hmm. so for me... How do, I, how do I create a school where I can take their language and their skills and what they bring to our country and convert that into success, right? And, and not these statistics where students can't read and they can't speak English and they can't do math. Um, so I designed the American Dream School, and the name is very much intentional because, it, you know, it, it goes back to who my parents uh, to what my parents wanted to come to this country for is in search mm-hmm. of this American dream. For them, it was the American dream 
equals education. So Mm -hmm. uh, the American Dream was born as a bilingual charter school. We started only with a sixth grade uh, back in 2014 and Mm -hmm. 75 students. And every year we would grow a grade and add, um, you know, add another 75 students. We were actually only chartered to be a middle school. And the way charter schools are chartered here in New York is you get five years and then on, you know, right around the eve of your fifth year, uh, you get reviewed to see if they're going to extend the charter. You can either get extended for another five years, which is a full renewal. You can get a conditional renewal for three years or they can revoke your charter. Mm-hmm. Um, so in year two, when I had sixth and seventh graders, I uh, petitioned to the state to let me extend my grades to include a high school because in eighth grade, our students were going to leave to go to high school. However, they were doing so well in my school. And I knew and I, at that time, it was only two years in, but I knew that given all the research there is about language development and how students learn and how English language language learners uh, learn, they need five to seven years. I wasn't going to be able to help them be their best selves in only three years. So I I needed more time with my students. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we get the parents involved, and the parents were like, we want a high school. And they start, you know, (laughs) kind of demanding and coordinating. Like, we want a high school, and we don't just want a high school. We want this school to become a high school. And so, um, you know, when our students reached eighth grade, the state actually allowed American Dream to expand into a high school, which was unprecedented. Wow. It was not. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to at least, you know, take your five years as a charter. Let's see how you do, and then we'll talk. You know, let's right, we'll talk right. later. But first, mm-hmm. in the books, and then we'll talk. But for us, it didn't happen that way. It happened in our third year that we were expanded into a high school, um, and then our fifth year came came and went, and that's when our students were in 10th grade. We got a full renewal to have another five years, um, which allowed us to graduate our very first class. Um, So this past June, we graduated our very first class, our founding class of seniors. We had... I um, saw that. I saw that on social media. Yes, it was our first class, and, you know, from that senior class, 98% of the students graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Which went now, I, I want you and, to re, I want you to repeat that number again because that is such a major accomplishment. Yeah, ninety eight percent of our senior class graduated high school, and from the ninety eight percent who graduated high school, ninety five percent of them went off to college. Wow. Um, yeah. So and my my question is <laughs> my my next question is so. How are you replicating this? How, have you? I'm sure that there have been people coming and said, "What are you doing? How are you making this happen? Uh, what's the magic secret sauce? Um, um, what are your plans along those lines, if any, to uh, are you, to are replicate?" You my email, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is my secret sauce? You know, there there's. There are a lot of ingredients to go into the secret sauce. I think mm-hmm. um, our strong partnership with our parents, going back to my first teaching experience and, and my own parents, um, parents are an integral part of our success. They are, mm-hmm. they are the most important you know, customers, clients, stakeholders, if you will, uh, who without them, we wouldn't be as successful. So being able to 
to speak to them, to be able to, to reach them in ways that they have not been connected to a school before, it motivates their students, right? Because mm-hmm. it, and then, it then helps us form these really tight, beautiful relationships with students where they know we're not playing. Like, if I'm calling mm-hmm. your mama, I'm calling your mama. And they know, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, yes, mom. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so we become part of the family. And so um, that's one of our mottos. It's somos familia. We are family. Um, and we mean it. We our, our parents love us. They trust us. They really, you know, it's so funny because we just graduated a few a few students and their parents are like, all right, well, you still have my 10th grader and my, you know, 7th grader and I have two more. So right, we're going right. to be together for 15 years. So we're yeah. not going away. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Looking at this, like this is this is it. We're we're family. We're stuck, and it's a beautiful right. thing. Um, but right. it's also the teachers, right? I think for me, um, this year, I would say about seventy nine percent of our faculty are are people of color and mm-hmm. people who, you know, the, the teachers who work at American Dream believe in the mission, believe in the vision, believe in our community, and they want to be able to be part of that transformation. Um, it's it's more our school is not a place to go to if you need a job. That's there's plenty of jobs everywhere. That's this is not right. where you go. Right. You come here to make a right. And mm-hmm. I think people feel that. So coming to American Dream as a staff member, as a teacher, as a you know, administrative assistant, as whoever whatever position or role you have, it's because you truly believe in the mission of the school. And a lot of our staff actually has a very similar story to mine. And I think for them, it's just like, wow, how do we, how do we keep going? And how do, this is is our chance of upward mobility, because if we're able to help our, our students, you know, have access to education this way, it's going to be able to help them be psychologically and mentally and physically stable for, future generations, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not just for themselves. So. Sure, sure. Well, you know, you've you've been so gracious and, and modest about uh, the work that you've done. But, you know, I just thinking about the way you said, you know, our parents, you know, our parents involved. That's not easy, though. Um, and I know also finding the right, um, the right teachers to be on the staff. That's not easy. And so what would you say, because, you know, there are, there are a number of students that, you know, this is the time of year where we're about to do our callback in January. So you remember those days uh, of uh, people being put in their NSD teams and, and getting ready to design schools. What, what, would, you, what would you say about, um, or even to people who are um, now going through the process of putting forward uh, charter applications. Um, what is, so there, there are things that you can put on paper and things that um, you say, this is what we're going to do. What was your biggest challenge, you think, um, that, that stood in front of you as you started to put your school together? Um, I think my biggest challenge was navigating uh, the politics uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't existed. To be honest, it was not mm-hmm. something that that we were 
caught and if maybe I fell asleep or something, but <laughs> it, it, it's wild out there that even from the onset, I was met with um, just negativity and people who didn't believe or people who didn't understand the charter movement or a charter school because a charter school is a public school. It's, you know, tuition free. We're operating with public dollars. Um, and in exchange for, for our autonomy, we have higher accountability metrics. But I think one of the challenges again was just being able to understand that this work is not easy and you, we have a lot more people in our corner that we don't. It's, there are a lot of mm-hmm. people out there who are really, really loud um, and intimidating. And for somebody like me, if you know me on a personal level, I am one who kind of shies away and just kind of like, okay, I, I don't want, you know, I, I hate trouble. I don't like conflict. And so even with the conflict resolution class at, at spa, like it, it conflict is still difficult for me, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. I think once you realize the purpose, for your school and what you're trying to accomplish, you stick with that and that's your driving force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, we, as I told you, this would go really, really fast and we're already out of time, but I just um, wanted to give you an opportunity. What, what advice uh, do you have uh, for someone that's about to um, engage in a similar process? What's the one take home you want them to know? That there are there are people who've done this work before, and I would just advise anybody who's looking on to take a, a challenge of starting a new school to reach out to folks who have started a new school because, you know, for me it's almost like I, uh, me, Melissa, personally, I, I want to help people. I want to see schools be successful because there there are children at stake, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all it's everybody's children. And so if there's anything that I can do to help anyone, please reach out to me and just reach out. If you know somebody who, who's been in this position, we, we probably have lived it and can share stories about how to avoid that or how to fall into that pitfall. Um, Sure. But reach out. You're not alone because once, once you get going, you are going to be at the top you're going to be really, really lonely and, and isolated. Um, and I learned that the hard way, but hmm. luckily now you know, there's a group of folks who just were like in a coalition and, you know, we, we got each other's back. So yeah. yeah excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much. Uh, it was great catching up with you and I'm going to take you up on that offer to reach out because um, I know that I have uh, students that will be very interested, um, especially after hearing this uh, to, to see what's going on there. And I told you, I've been watching for, for a long time, watching uh, your success. And, and so I too am going to stop by the next time I get a chance. Um, I'm often through the South Bronx. And so we'll be listening and reading about your work. And um, I, I'm sure you're going to continue to do great things. I know you're in a doctoral program. Congratulations on that. I'm glad to hear that, and um, and so uh, I'll be in touch, but until next time we get a chance to talk, um, go well, stay well. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. 